Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Future Food Weekly Live. It's great to be here. I'm Sonali from Green Queen and joining me is Steve Molino. Hey Steve. Hey Sonali, how are you doing this week? Yeah, good. It's um it's it's busy. There's just so much news. It's great. Feels it's like so uh, busy. Yeah. How about you? Lots of deals? Yeah. Lots of deals. It's funny. I've been I've been joking, and I forget if I said this last time, but like, as a, as an investor, we always tell startups, don't try to raise money in November, late November or December, because holidays are kicking off, end of year, and it's just hard to get a deal done. So wait till the new year, and then like it shoots us in the foot because then the new year comes around, and like every startup is like, we're kicking off our fundraise. So so it's amazing, or because we have amazing companies that are raising money and they're all coming at once, but. But man, there's only there's only one of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily you're an ace at due to yeah, it's it's fantastic. See, I mean, in some ways, I think the the deals are like the deal flow is widening and like what's making news is widening. The industry is almost like kind of widening to be just beyond certain key verticals, but it there's the activity level is high. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like I, I predicted that in one of my predictions for 2024. <laughs> yes, yes, you were right. And there's there's consolidations coming for sure. And and also just like good, I think MA activity is what the space needs. Um, people think of consolidation as as bad, but I think of it as also just like exits and that we need that. A hundred percent. We like without exits, there's no reason for investors to focus on new investments and think that they can have the type of return and like what we're saying with the return and exit that you actually need. So we need, we need those examples in our space. We call that comparables or comps. You need something to comp uh, a, a, an investment to, to understand how you should value it, what, what the outcome could be. So I'm loving to see that, seeing that activity and not everything looks fantastic right on the exit side of things right now, but the more activity, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we're going to dive in. There's there's a lot to cover today. Um, this week's big story um, is about a company called Sci-Fi Foods, um, which I had known about, but I have to say, shout out to you, um, because you kind of highlighted how special they were a while back, because you had you went for a tasting, and it was a really positive experience. Um, well, they've just announced some big news. They have um, completed a commercial scale 500 liter bioreactor, um, which means that they can now commercially produce their hybrid blend, which is essentially 90% plant-based meat and 10% cell cultured ingredients. And um, they the other the other thing that's exciting about this is we've just done a big deep dive into the blended and hybrid meat space. Um, and, you know, if anyone's listening, Steve um, was one of the investors that we profiled along with Heather from Allwin Capital about their views on, on the two categories. And I'm it's it's been interesting because we've been writing about this space now for, I would say, uh, three or four months. And we've gone on a deep dive. We did a policy piece. We profiled a lot of the companies and I'm seeing more other media start writing about it. So it seems like the interest in this space is really picking up. 
um, as we look at different ways to kind of create impact through diet change, it seems like blended, which tends to mean plant and conventional meat and a hybrid, which tends to mean plant and cellular ag ingredients um, is, is having a moment. So it's really good to see this news from Sci-Fi Foods. Um, you, I think, would be a great person to add additional kind of color to this story because, because I think you had such a positive experience when you, when you, um, when you tasted them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like seeing, seeing this news come out. Um, the first thing I thought is just like, I'm happy for them. So Joshua and, and his team. So Joshua Marsh, he's the, the CEO. Um, I'm, I've never had anything but really, really positive experiences with, with him. Uh, I, I, we are not investors in them. Um, and despite that, every time I reach out to him or talk to him, he's very kind. He's very transparent. He's excited about what they're doing. Um, and so I was just happy, right? Like, I just feel like he's in it for the right reasons and he's very clear on what he's trying to do. So this was good news. And when I, to your point, I actually had the opportunity to visit their facility uh, last year and they, they gave me a tasting of the, of a hybrid burger and they're going for 90, 10. And all I can say is that while I'm, I, I don't eat meat anymore and I haven't for a number of years, the burger that I had was by far the best burger that I've had since I've stopped eating meat. And in my mind, it was, it brought me right back to what it was like to, to have a traditional burger. I also brought with me someone from a, a large CPG company who does eat meat and they were just like, this is a great burger. So I don't know what the optimal amount of, of cultivated cells is in a burger to make it taste exactly the same or better or whatever, or even what the other ingredients need to be. All I know is that burger was amazing. The hybrid approach works from a taste standpoint and they're doing it really well. And the only other thing that I would add on top of that is sci-fi is, is really unique in the sense that they're not trying to hide what they're doing at, like behind this idea of it being a natural process. Obviously the name sci-fi is, is saying this is different. And I really appreciate how hard Joshua and the team lean into the fact that they are using genetically modified approaches and they are not trying to appeal to the groups that need it to be natural, organic, and not different. And we can get into this at a different time, but I just think that there is a market for that approach, and it's huge. And last thing I'll say is I really think in the short to medium term, I don't understand how that unit economics makes sense for any commodity meat product like beef or chicken if it's not hybrid. So I think what they're doing makes a lot of sense. I think the team is great. I think their scientific approach is really strong. Uh, and I'm happy to see that this uh, this came together for them. Absolutely. Um, I mean, let's, let's kind of break down a little bit more on the hybrid and blended. I think most people in the space would agree that if that, that the majority of cultivated meat companies going to market would essentially be hybrid by definition because it wouldn't be 100% cells. There are exceptions. I think um, Upside Foods chicken that is served in San Francisco at the Dominique Crenn restaurants is 99% cells, I think. 
But for example, good meats is closer to 70% cells and the rest is plant-based meat. So most of these companies are working on a hybrid. I think what's interesting about sci-fi is they're very open on it and they're very, you know, they're not trying to get below 90. They're trying to get commercial scale and they're trying to find that balance of, okay, how much cell-based ingredient do I have to put in for this to taste, to give consumers the taste experience of meat? And the, exactly. And, and that's the and, only thing that matters, right? Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, and, and it, you know, you have tried it and you felt that that experience was incredibly positive. So, you know, and from like an output standpoint, like, like it's, it's very simple math, right? Or if you, you try to create a cultivated burger, that's a hundred percent cells, then you create one burger. If you use 10% cells, you can create 10 burgers. It's not, it's not that hard. Right. So it's all about what, in my mind, what is the absolute smallest amount of cultivated cells that you could put in there that give you the exact experience that the consumer is looking for. And if they can't tell the difference and they're happy with a lot less cultivated cells in there, then it's actually a bad financial and business decision to increase to the go, number of to, cells. Exactly. To go more. And then if you're looking at impact, it's also bad because one burger versus, you know, 10,000 is a huge amount of difference in impact in terms of replacing the animal version, whether you are looking at it from an environmental impact point of view or an animal welfare point of view. Um, exactly, exactly. So and there's that and I really think that's a, math as well. I, I fully agree. I fully agree. And and I think that um, I'm more in the, in the, the camp of what like sci-fi is doing, the way they're thinking about things in the sense that they're saying, we don't really think that the consumers that are anti-cultivated meat or opposed to uh, things that are new and not natural, we don't think that if all of a sudden you put 100% cells, that's going to change their mind. Right. So it's kind of saying like, like, forget about them for us. That's not good. We're not, that's not the target market. It's the ones who are open to sustainable foods and want to try new things that are better for the planet and people and animals, et cetera. And because of that, we're not afraid to say that we're using GMOs or that there's, this is a combo of cultivated and plant-based and, and I agree with that approach. Absolutely. No. And I, and I think that's, it's such an important um, point that is really missing. There's such a lack of nuance in the cultivated um, and sell ag kind of conversation in mainstream media and even on social media, it's become a little bit like very, it's just become bipolar, very similar to like what's happened with the plant-based conversation. And it's been hijacked by, you know, it's either cell-based meat as bad because it, you know, comes from a lab, which is not even true. And, or, you know, the people that are saying cell-based meat is the future. I mean, there is, there's a middle ground. There are different types of consumers. I mean, that's the other thing. Consumers are not just two groups, right? Um, and and I think Sci-Fi Foods recognizes that there's a there's a very legitimate group of consumers that have specific reasons for wanting to eat delicious meat products, but you know not have the impact, whether it's environmental or animal welfare or health, whichever, and wants to try a different way. Um, but it has to taste amazing, and it has to cost it has to be a reasonable cost. And we Absolutely. we know that, you know, 100% cells 
the, the reasonable cost is not happening for a long time. So, you know, I think we need more of this. And there's, there's a, there's a couple of other companies that are approaching this from a fat point of view where they're going for, you know, a cell-based fat, which is potentially easier to, to produce and scale um, and get to cost competitiveness and matching that with the plant-based meat, because there's that mouthfeel that you get from a certain type of fat that is very hard to replace with just things like coconut oil. So yeah. Like and, and, and I, I, I don't, I don't know if they would want me to say what fat was used, so I won't say it, but it wasn't a cultivated fat. Um, and, and I, I, and again, it was just, it's still, the burger was unbelievable. So yeah, I know. Um, maybe, it's not sci-fi yeah. that's going the the cult. The, the the people that I'm thinking about on the fat side are people like Foxton Farms and potentially um, 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 having a brain freeze. But the company in San Francisco that does the the cultivated fat sausages. Um, oh, Mission Barns. Mission Barns. Yeah. So where their approach is, can we find this balance where we bring in the cultivated fat and and some plant-based and get that mouthfeel. So there's a lot more coming, but I, I am seeing more and more around blended and hybrid and kind of looking at a wider kind of range of options for consumers and trying to kind of find different niches. Um, you know, at a different time, we, we can go more into, I mean, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but, you know, the blended option where it's, you know, part plant, part meat. Um, and that seems to elicit a very strong reaction from most people that's either like, I love this or absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because in practice and in things like food service, it can be a very interesting way to, to, to get impact or to increase fiber content of meals or to lower animal um, uh, protein content of meals without necessarily making a big thing about it and, and having any kind of plant-based branding attached to it. So it's, it's definitely, there's definitely, there's definitely movement and there's definitely interesting cases, um, to be made for, for these products in these categories. Absolutely. I fully, fully agree. So congrats to the, the sci-fi team for this next milestone. Still a long road ahead, but uh, uh, you got to celebrate the wins. Yes. And um, just really quickly, I, I forgot to say in my summary that the company says it is aiming to get regulatory approval from the FDA and the USDA as early as next year to enter food service. So that would be a really interesting milestone. Um, we're doing some work on a, a story about the FDA and some of the personnel changes there and like how we think it's, we, we've been talking to a lot of different people to get views on how we think it's going to affect alternative protein uh, approvals. So stay tuned for that. Um, there's been, yeah, a bunch of different um, people changes at the agency. Um, so it could, could have a, an effect on approvals one way or the other. Lots Interesting. Of there. Yeah. So what else caught your eye this week? Yeah, so the thing that I, I, I thought was really interesting was um, you put out an op-ed is called the future of food tech funding needs a complete overhaul. And the, the basic idea, I, I really think everyone should, should give this a read, but the basic idea is that food is different than technology, right? Traditional tech. So from 
So the, the history of our space is that we've been trying to use the venture capital approach to fund innovation in food. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but there is a very clear difference between what a food company is structured like and the time horizon around that, how fast they grow compared to what's traditionally funded by venture capital. So like B2B SaaS or tech companies and things like that. So there's the whole piece is around what are the alternative approaches to financing? Um, are there any needs to overhaul things in different ways, like create new forms of financing structures that are better suited and I love this because, and you know this, Sonali, but I love this because there was like a three-month period very recently where I went down a massive rabbit hole of trying to understand the other forms of financing out there that possibly we could even use on on my, on our end at, at, at the firm that I work for. And um, I went, I, I talked to so many different people, a lot of reading, a lot of reading about the history of different uh, approaches to funding early stage companies. And there's, there, I found a lot of new structures I didn't know about, and some of them are really interesting. Um, but the one thing that I think became very clear is that I don't think that there is a silver bullet solution that's out there where it's just like, we need to shift away from traditional venture and do this one new structure or this one new approach to financing. I think it has to be a combination and it also is dependent on every single company's individual business and approach to their timeline, what the founder wants in terms of ownership, in terms of exits, how that, that matches with investor return profiles. But um, I'm, I'm trying to spare details because I, three months of research and talking to a lot of people, I could spend hours talking about this, but this is a really, really worthwhile uh, read for for anyone, but especially for, for founders and investors, in my opinion. Well, thank you very much. Um, I am a co-author of the piece. I wrote it with another fellow um, VC, and it's a piece I really wanted to do for a really long time. Um, and for anyone who's listening to this podcast, like, it's not a surprise why Steve and I um, are doing this podcast and why we're able to talk for hours before and after we do the recording um, constantly and are constantly on WhatsApp. I think you and I have such similar areas of interest and um, kind of rethinking the way food tech deals are funded is something that both of us have been exploring in different ways and thinking about um, for, all, for a while now. And, you know, it's not, it's not because VC is necessarily broken. Obviously there's tremendous value in the venture capital model. And there's a case to be made for, for certain companies that need it, but food really is quite unique. And the, the, the point of the piece was really, it's very long. I considered uh, breaking it out into two pieces, but I felt it would lose something. And the piece has kind of an overview of why food is different and what needs to change and what hasn't been working. And then a kind of a summary of what's out there if you want to do something different. And as Steve has just said, it's not about finding, there's no kind of replacement solution, like go from venture capital to redeemable equity. No, it's about looking at things and and kind of structuring deals differently. Um, and, you know, there's too much in there to really, as you say, Steve, like I, I hope people will read this piece and I hope it, it will be worthwhile. And I don't think there's enough content about this topic out there. So hopefully this helps, but we're not going to go through every single kind of option that exists. 
Um, there are a couple of highlights in the piece though that I do think are worth mentioning. Um, we spend a little bit of time on one of my favorite um, and, and kudos to Sifted, the, the, the media out of Europe that is backed by the FT. They have a fantastic piece on BPI, which is the Banque Publique d'Investissement in France and the role that that public investment um, capital source has played in really powering France's French tech scene, which is now one of the most active scenes in Europe. And, and companies are actually moving to France so that they can get great support. And for most French companies, they're able to get the BPI bank to match the funding that they raise, which significantly increases their capitalization and their funding round size. So that's one thing we looked at is also this idea of like blended capital and public capital. Um, and the other story that I really, uh, that that is a, a more recent story that I, I was so glad that I found out about it before this piece went out is the story of a German startup by these two fantastic women who have not only, so it's called, the company's called Vild, and not only have they created the world's first tampon made out of seaweed, which is nicknamed Kelpon, um, which is already incredible. And they have like IP on it and it's just fantastic. So this thing biodegrades, it's plastic free, it's non-toxic for the body, you know, fem, fem tech and fem care products are just an exploding market because people have finally woken up and realized that there are 4 billion women out there who have all these health issues that need attention. So that's one thing. Oh, who, who, who knew? That's crazy. I know. It's not like we all came from women or our moms or anything like that, but yes, <laughs> somehow we've suddenly woken up, but not, so not only have they, these, these, this dynamic duo created this product and it's, it's going really well. They, I've never, I've never seen a story like this. They created their own, the co-founder had exp has experience in finance and she created her own financial instrument um, that is basically a blend of different ways to make sure that she, the company retains ownership of, um, of the cap of, of decision-making and that once the investors get their return, they're paid back and then they don't, they're not no longer kind of owners. And she's managed to figure out a way to kind of escape from the, the kind of venture capital, um, you know, treadmill where you go from like C to series A to series B and you need to kind of grow, grow, grow. It's fascinating. I mean, the, the, the exact details, I really recommend reading the story um, and, and getting a, a closer look at kind of the instrument, but this idea that these founders kind of said, we're going to do things on our own terms and we're going to, and still manage to raise a seven figure round from traditional, you know, VC investors and others, and kind of just, you know, did not, they blazed their own path. I mean, most founders don't go into funding thinking, let me create my own instrument. So it's just, it's fascinating. And it really kind of hits upon this idea that People are looking for new ways to fundraise that are more equitable, that make more sense for the business model that they're looking at, especially if it's an impact business model. So yeah, I really wanted to call that out. And I know you and I have talked about it separately because I sent it to you, of course, um, as soon as I learned about it. I mean, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I so I'm obsessively wanting to dig into it. So <laughs> I, I I heard about it yesterday. Right? You sent it to me. I didn't know about it beforehand, and um, it seems like there's a lot of information to dig into. And I do love they made it open source, so that means I can dig into it. And I I thank that team because I so will German, be digging so European. In. I know, like I I love it, and <laughs> and for me at the at the high level, like I what it sounds like it might be like it might be solving some of the problems that I've run into with other types of, of instruments like redeemable equity, which, um, and again, I'll, I'll spare getting into the details here right now, but um, it, the like too many details, I guess, but at, at the, the highest level, it, there's, there's issues I've run into where um, it doesn't always like redeemable equity or alternative forms of financing that I looked at. They, they still have these hurdles to overcome where the company does need to raise future capital, or if there does need to be a certain type of exit um, or, or if, or if, if profitability and revenues are going to be further down the line, right? And they're not happening soon. This this structure that this that was just created sounds like it's breaking out different share classes for economics and control of the company. So it seems like they can sell shares that are economic shares that an investor can get a return on. And it sounds like there's a capped return, but still a return nonetheless. Um, but it doesn't necessarily lead to that investor owning voting right shares, which is in essence control of the company. And so this idea that you brought up of the founders being able to still own the company and, and control the destiny of the company, it sounds like that's how they're approaching it. Um, but I really want to dig in. It's, it's super, super interesting. And the last thing I'll say on this is that to your point, I, I think it's up to not just founders to think about things differently because that's not really what you started the business for. You weren't trying to become financiers, but for, for, funders to think about all these different options and possibly be open to using many different kinds of these options for companies at different in, in different stages of, of, of their journey or their life cycle, or even if they have slightly different business models, because a lot of the options presented in this piece, they actually could all be used by one company just at different times of the, the company's journey. So I think it's important for all investors to have a better understanding of what is there beyond equity financing or safe notes or convertible notes, which is basically what the industry focuses on the most today. So it's a really, really good piece. Well, thank you. That means a lot since I'm not an investor and you are, but also I'm going to make a little prediction and say, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see a ton more of this kind of thing. I think Absolutely. everything is being, you know, decentralized and everything is being questioned and, you know, younger generations of founders are looking at things um, just differently and kind of not accepting status quo. And I, I think, I think it's, it's just the start of, of some really interesting stuff. Um, obviously, Definitely. And, and access have... to information is easier, right? right. Like, even the fact that this is open source and, and the, 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 original users of redeemable equity. So in DVC, they made their term sheets open source. That didn't exist 10, 20 years ago. So now founders can be super educated on this as well, which is which is great. Exactly. Um, yeah, so great. Um, um, still on the topic of of funding, my my pick for this this week is it's kind of how much funding there actually was to report on this week. So there was so much funding for different de big deals that we created a section called Funding Frenzy in the newsletter. Our editor Nicola did because she just was you know 
couldn't believe how many deals there were. There's some really fantastic positive news. And actually not all the funding is equity funding. A couple of them are grants, but what's really, what really took the cake this week is German mycelium company, Infinite Roots, getting 58 million in a series B. Um, I, I mean, that's gotta be some kind of mushroom milestone. Um, I don't think there's a bigger mycelium deal that's happened. Um, certainly not in Europe. So yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember what like, what like meaty or, or at last or my forest foods raised. Um, but it's to your point, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be up there like closer to the top. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. That that was a series C meaty meaty got a 150 million series C, but they're US based. So I think it was a record. And that was, I think it was pre 2022, right? So different times people. <laughs> That's also true. I think, I think that what was exciting was just like seeing the 58 million in 2024 in, in an environment where, you know, most startups are calling us and saying, can you introduce us to investors? Um, so yeah, fantastic news, some, some activity in the space, a lot of different companies raising, you got Chunk Foods getting another seven and a half mil for their seed uh, extension. So they're making a whole cut, uh, plant-based meats. You've got Voyage Foods, which is like replacing um, things like uh, peanut butter and, and chocolate and 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 all kinds of kind of different and coffee and they're doing that without the cacao or without the coffee bean um, as a way to kind of fight things like deforestation and issues in the supply chain um, and then you've got C16 Biosciences also working on finding alternatives that are non uh, non deforestation linked to palm oil. Um, and they just got a three and a half million grant from the, the Gates Foundation to continue to work on their precision fermented palm oil alternative. So really exciting to see kind of action on on, on multiple fronts um, from plant. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that um, I'm not going to say I'm calling it and saying that we've reached the bottom and we're, we're on our way back up, but it feels like it from this type of news where um, 2022 and 2023 were really rough years from a funding standpoint in, in, in not just in our space, but in the entire venture capital ecosystem. So seeing deals, seeing this many deals and deals of this size um, definitely didn't, they weren't really happening last year. So it's, it's a really good sign. It's January and we're seeing something like this. And I, I think it's really exciting and um, also, for what it's worth, on, on, on the side, I, you mentioned how Chunk Foods was one of the companies that raised. I, I finally got to try their their Chunk steak last week. I got I got lunch with another investor named Beatrice Franco, who's who's in in New York, and we um, love she's the friend of the uh, oh, she, We love her. She's the best. She's the best, and she brought brought me to a place where they had the Chunk steak, um, and it was great. So for for what it's worth, if you ever have an opportunity to try it, I, I would, but. Um, yeah, this, this funding news is definitely a, a positive sign or it's a positive feel right now for, for this space. So, um, well, so I, I did love you it. love it? Did you love it? The mistake? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was really, really good. It's, I think it's still an odd thing for me to be able to go to a restaurant and order a steak, right? It's been so many years since I've been able to do that. So but it tasted great. The texture was really good. 
Um, but I think one of the best parts of it was just this idea that I could go to a restaurant, sit down and I got steak frites and I got, so I got steak and French fries and it was great. I, I, I loved it. Um, cause have you, so have you tried juicy marbles? I have, I have tried juicy marbles. And have you tried redefine um, meats? That I have not tried. So I, I've not tried redefine. I have, I've tried juicy marbles. I have had chunk. I've had uh, Muji Meats, who full disclosure we 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 invested in, um, so I have some bias, I'm sure. But uh, it's there's there's some really great great things popping up on the the whole cut uh, structured product side on the plant in the plant based space. Because um, I I've not I've not tried Muji and I've not tried Juicy, but I tried Redefine, which I really liked, and Chunk. I have to say, Chunk was really impressive. I tried it in September in San Francisco. It was very, very impressive. Uh, I, I agree. And I think for the sake of avoiding criticizing in any way any of the companies, I'm not going to go into what I think is the best or what was good or bad. But um, I, if, if I didn't like it, there's a 0% chance I would actually bring it up on the podcast. So I think for what it's worth, the chunk steak was a very, very good steak and it was a great experience. Yeah. Um, I, okay. Well, yeah, we, 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 we always try to be nice, but yeah, chunk, chunk is doing in the, in the background. We'll, we'll, we'll dig, you and I off, off the line, we'll, we'll go into the nuances. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's our positive story to end on Steve? What are we other than obviously great, great to see some, funding action back happening and the industry kind yeah. of finding its feet in a new reality. What else is going on? Yeah, so called called out. So this one actually is is deep in the, the future food quick bite section. So you gotta click on the link in the newsletter to go see all the, the additional quick bites. But um it's funny. I, I'll bring up what it is, but I I told you this is what I wanted to talk about before we started. And you're like, didn't, did we talk on, talk about this last week? And we, I don't think we did on the podcast. I was just been kind of raving about this to, to you and a couple others. So a company called Savor, uh, they make, they make an alternative butter. They make alternative fats right now. They're starting with a butter as their, their first product, but um, they are not precision fermentation. They are not cultivated. They are not plant-based. They are using thermochemistry, which uh, I'm not a scientist, so I won't even attempt to get into the science because I'll sound stupid, but it's a different approach. They're using gases in essence and turning gases into fats. And I've had the butter. It's unbelievable to be honest, but either way, that's not why I'm bringing it up. The reason I'm bringing it up is because they're doing something unique. They are trying for fun just to see what will happen. They're trying to share things on TikTok. They created a TikTok account and they're sharing things and they put up a video just showing how they make their butter. And I was kind of surprised at how transparent it was. You've heard me preach on this podcast how often I feel like transparency needs to be better in this space. And it's usually the worst with the more high-tech approaches. This is as high-tech as it gets, in my opinion. And it's super transparent. They, they show what they're measuring, the weights and the proportions and what the process looks like. And it feels fun because it's just in like a traditional TikTok format. But I think that that's such a positive because it's just a company not hiding behind closed doors. They're not being a black box. They're not sharing all their IP on TikTok or something, but they're still being super transparent about what they're doing. And I, I thought it was awesome. I shot the, the, the CEO a note just saying like, 
this is super cool. I think this is a great idea. And they're just being honest and open. And I, I think that that is something to call out as positive. Yeah, I think transparency and, and getting people involved more is, is a great idea. I think that, as you know, as we've banged on about so many times, and I've said on so many panels and in so much of our writing, I don't think we've done the best job with with how to how we've talked to consumers in this space and how we've approached them. And there are all different kinds of consumers and there are plenty of consumers who are innovation led and want to learn more. There are, there are plenty of consumers who, who respect and respond to transparency. So that's, it's really great to see. And I think demystifying things and, and making things kind of open and, and accessible um, is the way to go. And, and I, I think we, this is, this is more on the kind of how, how do you do marketing and branding work in the space? And um, I think there's room for more approaches, including transparency. I I agree. And I also think like, it's a, it's a little bit genius for something like this because their butter is not on the market. And when it is on the market, there's nothing that's ever been made like this in the food system before. And if you want people, just regular people to eat it and feel comfortable with it, then you'll then showing them in a very easy, fun TikTok way. If they could see 10, 20, 100 videos on TikTok of just like, this is how we do it. Then it's just going to make them feel a lot more comfortable and feel a lot less uh, fear about what they're putting in their mouths. Because this is not something that should be scary, but it is different and different requires education. And I, I just think this is really cool. And again, I'll say it one more time. The butter is phenomenal. <laughs> Oh, that's, I mean, like, did you feel like it's, it, it tasted like animal butter? Do you remember? Yes. Yes. I, I, I did. It, it was like the, the creaminess, the way it feels in your mouth after you eat it, the, like the way it coats your mouth and all that. It's, it reminded me of like a high-end butter that you would get at like a nice restaurant where you're sitting there eating way too much bread and butter, and then you're not actually hungry for your meal, like that kind of butter. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, so far, the most exciting butter I had last year was um, Willie Croft's butter made from legumes and and other things. So and it, fermentation as well, but not not um, n- not not gas fermentation. Anyway, awesome. Um, we'll be back next week, everyone, with more future food news. Make sure to follow us and share the podcast if you love it. See you then. See you then. <laughs>